You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church. We're located in the Ballston neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us on the web at cumcballston dot o-r-g. There you can learn more about our congregation, where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. A reading from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Here ends the reading from Psalm 137. I see. What about the gold? Mr. Aber not there yet. Okay, nothing seems to be working out right today. All right, well, I'll see you a little later then. Thanks anyway. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag and see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this, and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a woman, and a boy can be someday a man. It's true. We are grateful for the Reverend Allie Rosner Bass, who served as our guest preacher on Sunday. Due to a technical difficulty, we've had to re-record the sermon that she wrote and preached at Central United Methodist Church. I've always felt that Psalm 137 gets off to a good start. The beginning is sad but beautiful. This image of harps hung up on the willows by the rivers of Babylon. There's the pain of not being able to sing. But then we get to the last line. And something about dashing babies against rocks. And you almost think, wow, 
Maybe we shouldn't be reading this in church. And it feels especially heavy for a Mr. Rogers sermon. It may be tempting to think of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood as an opportunity for a bit of escapism. His show represents one half hour of time where we can put away the roughness of the real world for a while and enter into a nice neighborhood where days are always beautiful and people are kind. And this guy in a cardigan his mom knitted tells us he likes us, that it's a better day because he got to share it with us. I honestly think the reason Mr. Rogers has seen such a resurgence in popularity over the last few years is that we really feel a need for that kind of kindness and authenticity in today's world. But the neighborhood wasn't meant to be a place where children went to get away from the real world. Rather, it was a place where children were given tools to process the real world at a child-appropriate level. Mr. Rogers talked about things like death and divorce. His puppets in the neighborhood of make-believe acted out scenarios related to nuclear proliferation and preparing for war, always connected to things going on in the news at the time. And he always talked to kids about their feelings, including feelings like anger, fear, and sadness. One of Mr. Rogers' core consistent messages to children was that they are liked and accepted just as they are. And for Mr. Rogers, part of being accepted as we are is knowing that our feelings are accepted too, even the feelings that might not seem so good or holy. That's why he came back again and again to that song we heard just a moment ago. What do you do with the mad that you feel? Because guess what? For better or worse, kids, and all of us, feel mad sometimes. The song is meant to teach kids about how to deal with their feelings constructively. But just like most things on the show, its message is not just for children. Plenty of adults have trouble naming and expressing their feelings in healthy ways. In fact, I wonder sometimes if the church doesn't make this problem worse. I think we may get the message, intended or not, that as faithful people we're not supposed to feel certain kinds of ways. After all, if we're sad or mad, we're not grateful or joyful. Too blessed to be stressed. I know I've caught myself buying into that idea kind of subconsciously at times. When I've gone through periods of depression or just had bad days, I start to feel guilty that I'm not more grateful for what I have, which then, of course, just makes me feel worse. Unfortunately, when we can't acknowledge and process our feelings in healthy ways, we often end up expressing them in unhealthy ones. We escalate the situation. We bottle our anger until we explode. We suffer our sadness in silence, adding isolation to the mix. We take our stress out on people who didn't cause it in the first place. That's what Mr. Rogers wants us to avoid. It may be hard for us to believe that Mr. Rogers ever got angry, but he did. One particular example involved a traumatic experience that happened to his son. Johnny Rogers wasn't even a year and a half old when he happened to need a hernia repair surgery. It wasn't supposed to be that big a deal, but when they got to the hospital, a nurse brought a crib on wheels that looked like a cage, grabbed Johnny, and wheeled him down the hall as he screamed while Fred Rogers and his wife Joanne looked on helplessly. 
They later learned that it took 45 minutes to sedate him for the procedure, and he ended up needing extensive therapy on the other side of this surgery, not for anything physical, but because of that traumatic experience of separation. Even 25 years later, Fred Rogers said, quote, To this day, I have nightmares about it, and I get so angry when I talk about it that I find it hard to be the least bit charitable, end quote. Mr. Rogers isn't alone. As much as we might like to imagine the Bible is full of holy, faithful people who simply fold their hands and say that everything happens for a reason, the truth is, the Bible is full of stories of people unapologetically and unrepentantly feeling big feelings. From brothers and sisters jealous of a more favored sibling, to prophets terrified to go where God has sent them, to mothers who refuse to be consoled over the loss of their children. Jesus himself got annoyed at people bothering him and at his disciples' inability to ever understand what he was trying to tell them. He burned with anger at the hypocrisy of religious leaders, wept at the death of a friend, sweated drops of blood the night before his death as he begged for this cup to be taken from him and he cried out in abandonment from the cross. Some of our most vivid examples of feelings as part of our holy story come from the part of the Bible meant to lead the congregation of God's people in prayer. The Psalms run the gamut of human emotion. There are joyful songs accompanied by cymbals and drums where every line begins with praise the Lord. There are psalms that speak to calming an anxious soul. Be still and know that I am God. Psalms that cry out in forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm that was quoted by Jesus on the cross. There are psalms of confession and grief. Cast me not away from your presence. And angry psalms. May my enemies be like chaff in the wind. All of these psalms and all of these feelings are included in this holy text. Not just to tell us how someone else might have felt a long time ago when writing them, but for our use in prayer. Because undoubtedly over the course of our lives and sometimes even over the course of our days, we will feel all these ways. And at all those times, God wants us to pray. I chose Psalm 137 for today because it is, in my opinion, one of the best examples of the angry psalms, also called the imprecatory psalms, the ones that wish smiting on the psalmist's enemies. Of all the psalms, these are the ones that are hardest to use in church. I usually choose psalms for our call to worship at the church I serve, Arlington Temple in Roslyn, and I often find myself doing a bit of selective editing when we get to these parts, because the tone of a psalm can turn on a dime sometimes, and I contend that we just don't need to open worship asking God to zap our enemies. I also believe that these psalms do have their place. In 587 BCE, 
the Babylonian army rolled into Jerusalem, cast its leaders and elites into exile in other parts of the Babylonian Empire, and turned the city to rubble. Psalm 137 is the prayer of grieving people who have been exiled from their homeland, who have seen God's temple lying in ruins as they were led away in chains, who are still vulnerable and afraid at the hands of their captors. Sing for us, these captors taunt them. But how can they sing God's song in a foreign land? It's not time for singing. It's time for devastating grief. And so that leads us to the final lines of this psalm, which I hear as filled with anguish and helplessness. Daughter Babylon, happy are those who will repay you for what you have done. Happy are those who take your babies and dash them against the rocks. I'd be careful about how I prayed this one, but it's there. No scribe surreptitiously took it out and put something else in its place. There's no footnote telling us how the psalmist didn't really mean it. It's just there in all its big and raw and painful feelings. Feelings like that are part of human life. And that makes them part of a whole and honest relationship with God. Fred Rogers often quoted a mentor of his when he said, everything human is mentionable and everything mentionable is manageable. In other words, it doesn't help us to pretend that strong people or grown-up people or good people or faithful people are above sadness and anger and pain. What does matter is what we do with those feelings. That's the whole question Mr. Rogers asks. What do you do with the mad that you feel? The song gives us some options. Do you get out your aggression by punching a bag instead of someone's face? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Channel it all into creativity. Find some friends to do something fun and help drag you out of the pit of rage and self-pity. Work off some energy by running really fast. In real life, Fred Rogers talked about music being an outlet for his feelings. And in fact, if you saw the recent Tom Hanks movie about him, that's what we see in the very final scene. Fred Rogers sitting down at the piano, mashing on some keys. He channeled his anger over his son's traumatic hospital experience into his advocacy for children. Advocacy which took him beyond the television screen, even to the halls of Congress. Feelings are human, he tells us part of God's good creation, but they don't have to control us. We can, with God's help, redirect our pain and our anger, though they are a part of our story, but we don't have to let them write the next part of our story on their own. When I think of Jesus getting mad, the first story that comes to mind for me is when he goes into the temple at Passover and he sees the money changers and knocks over their tables and he fashions a homemade whip to chase them out. It's the kind of scene where if it were anyone but Jesus, 
I might tell them to go watch some Mr. Rogers. But there's another scene that comes to mind, too. A very different one. It happens in the Gospel of John, when Jesus has already begun to get into some public disagreements with the religious leaders. They are caught between wanting to arrest him for blasphemy and rabble-rousing and knowing the crowds love him. One morning, he's teaching in the temple, and the religious leaders bring him a woman who has been accused of adultery. Caught in the act, so they say. And they make her stand before him. Teacher, they say, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. The law says we should stone her. How about you? It's a trap, you see. How do you imagine Jesus must have felt in this moment? Far be it from me to enter into the mind of Jesus, but I think if I were him, I'd be mad. Mad that they are doing this, the very people who are supposed to represent God. Mad that they are using this woman as a pawn in a conflict that has nothing to do with her. And maybe sad that it has all come to this afraid even of what comes after his answer. So what does he do with all those feelings? He is quiet for a moment and he looks down and begins to write something in the dust on the ground. They keep talking, trying to get him to take the bait. He keeps writing. And then finally he looks up and says, let anyone among you who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he bends down to write again. No one really knows exactly what Jesus was doing. Was he writing something for them to read? Was he just doodling, refusing to engage? Was he buying time? No matter, he acts in a way that changes the narrative. He doesn't let his feelings control him or his response. Instead, he pauses and he thinks, and he catches them off guard with his refusal to be trapped. In the end, his words are intentionally chosen, and one by one, the leaders leave. This is the kind of transformative act you don't get by denying or bottling up your anger, but by acknowledging it and deciding intentionally where to go from there. Back by the rivers of Babylon, the captives from Jerusalem are grieving. They are sad and angry enough that they hang up their harps on the willows. They can't sing the old songs anymore. The ironic thing is, what do they do with all of that? They take a page right out of Mr. Rogers' book, and they write a song about it, and we call it Psalm 137. It's a sad song and an angry song. It includes lament and curses and unspeakable wishes that, as far as we know, will never be acted upon. And maybe that's the point. This song isn't a call for revenge. It's a real, raw offering of everything they have right now, offering all of that to God, instead of expressing their feelings in violence. Because when you can't sing the old songs anymore, sometimes you have to sing a new one. And if you do, sometimes, if you make that offering because it's the only one you can make, it will lead you back to the old songs again. 
or at least one day, lead you back to some more joyful ones again. I'll let Mr. Rogers have the last word here in another song, The Truth Will Make Me Free. The truth is inside of us, and it's wonderful when we have the courage to tell it. What if I were very, very sad, and all I did was smile? I wonder after a while, what might become of my sadness? What if I were very, very angry, and all I did was sit, and never think about it? What might become of my anger? Where would they go and what would they do if I couldn't let them out? Maybe I'd fall, maybe get sick or doubt. But what if I could know the truth and say just how I feel? I think I'd learn a lot that's real about freedom. I'm learning to sing a sad song when I'm sad. I'm learning to say I'm angry when I'm very mad. I'm learning to shout, I'm getting it out. I'm happy learning exactly how I feel inside of me. I'm learning to know the truth. I'm learning to tell the truth. Discovering truth will make me free. When we discover and own that truth about ourselves, then with God's help, we can be free to choose the next part of our story. Thanks be to God. Amen.